Thanks for joining us here today at Victory Church, where we invite people to belong before they believe. If you want to know more about who we are and what we do, or if any of our messages have impacted your life and you want to partner with us by giving into this ministry, we invite you to do so by visiting our website at victory.church. Now, let's check out this week's message from our Oklahoma City campus pastor, Oscar Ortiz. Amen, amen. I want to welcome everyone that's watching online, and I want to welcome our Edmond campus, and just so honored to be with you today. Can you high-five somebody and uh, turn around? So excited to be with you today. You guys awake this morning? You feel God's presence in this room? Amen. Amen. We're so excited to be with you. Want to also, can we honor our pastor, our lead pastor, Pastor John, who's watching us today? Always appreciate his takes on, on mornings where we get to, to, to share the word. And you know what? I'm just to give you a heads up, I am going to ask you to stand up in just a little bit, but rest your legs, uh, take a sip of coffee, and, and then we'll get started. But as we, as we were singing and as we were uh, just enjoy, enjoying God's presence through worship, I know that for those of you that are watching that, are, that, are, that sense that, you know, God really truly came to, to establish his kingdom. And sometimes it's good for us to remember that the way God leads in heaven, it's sometimes not the way we lead on earth. So what that means is that the way we expect things I gotta be according to how God knows to move and according how God knows to reign. So as we dive into this story today, um, I wanted to remind you that God's kingdom it's not a democracy. So before we get into our story, let me remind you: God's kingdom it is not ruled how we would rule the earth because it is a kingdom, and kingdoms have kings. Right? So if kingdoms have kings, then we, when we come and we join this kingdom that we were singing about, then we must come with a little bit of a different mindset of what it means to live in a kingdom. I know we live in a country, but when you are transformed by the power of the gospel through Jesus Christ, you become part of a kingdom, and a kingdom works differently than a country. You're with me so far? You're with me so far. Okay, now let's stand and let's go to the book of Daniel because we're going to talk about a very famous scripture out of Daniel chapter 2 that talks about Daniel's interpretation of King Nebuchadnezzar. So for those of, you, for those of us that may not be familiar with this story, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, an evil king, and he requests his wise men to interpret it for, for him, but they couldn't. So they bring this teenage dude by the name of Daniel, and he ends up interpreting it. So what we're about to read is the very end of Daniel's interpretation of the, of the dream. And it's in Daniel chapter 2, and it says, And in the days 
of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Everybody say kingdom forever. And then it says, just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation sure. I believe that today as we dive into this story, I'm going to talk about three simple things, three three principles that would help us understand of what it means to live in the kingdom or what kingdom living is. So the first one is kingdom living starts in the home. The second one is kingdom living is Jesus-centered. And the third one is kingdom living is supernatural. So my title for the message is kingdom living in a dying culture. Are you ready today? Come on, let's pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you're with us. Thank you that your word is alive and active, and, and I pray that it, it just divides, God, what's kingdom and what's culture this morning, what's from the flesh and what's from the spirit. And I just pray that as we dive into your word, that we will hear your spirit. More than anything, I say that your spirit will be the one who speaks today. In the name of Jesus, we pray, and everybody say, amen. amen. You may be seated. For those of you that may not be familiar with my story, I can relate probably a, a, a tiny little bit with what Daniel went through. Not in the fact that I was not taken captive from another nation, but in the fact that I had to come from a different country, learn a new language, new, learn a new culture, learn new ways of adaptation into eating different kinds of food, into this amazing country that we call the United States of America. But there were some things that were not amazing. And I'm going to be completely honest with you. I was invited, when I, was in, when I went to college, so I grew up in San Antonio, I moved to Dallas to go to college, and then I had a friend, a group of friends say, hey, we're going to go to this Mexican restaurant. And when people invite me to Mexican restaurants, I'm, I always go with a little bit of skepticism because of what happened. Because I was marked by this moment. They said, we're going to go to a Mexican restaurant. It's called Taco Bell. <laughs> they were not playing Mexican music. There were not like friendly people there. It was... And what, what was amazing, the tacos did not take like three hours like I, what I was used to. They took three minutes. And for, you have to understand, I came from a culture where we ate everything homemade. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner, everything was homemade. Um, we did not really own a microwave till we moved to the States. We got a microwave. My mom was like, macro que? What, what's this? <laughs> she was... We had to learn how to use a microwave because everything was, was, was homemade. So 
So I had Taco Bell, and then a few years later, in one of my trips, I was actually visiting a friend of mine in Owasso, Oklahoma. He goes, I'm, he told me, I'm going to take you to a different restaurant. This is not Taco Bell, this is not Taco Bell but you're going to like it. And then he took me to this restaurant, and it was Taco Bueno. <laughs> See my smile? Now, I'm glad he didn't call it Mexican, because it's not Mexican, but nevertheless, Taco Bueno was bueno, Okay. And see, part of your Christian maturity is understanding that bueno is better than bell. <laughs> Can I preach to you for a little bit? <laughs> see, bueno is even biblical. Genesis 1 tells us that God made everything and he, and he said it was very bueno. It's biblical. Bell sounds too close to hell and it makes sense. Because of what happens to your stomach after you ingest it. Can I get an amen? If anything, coming to this country, there was a major culture shock. There were some things that I was not used to the same way that they were presented. They said, it's going to be okay. And my body said, no, it's not. But so picture, picture this as believers we are supposed to encounter culture shock every day of our lives because i don't know if you've realized but our culture is not so much jerusalem it's more babylon so when i when i talk to you today when when we when we when we talk about this story you have to keep in mind our world and our culture around us is becoming more more blatantly Babylon that means that there's an enemy that is going to try to capture people believers and to change them into a different culture in this story if you remember Jerusalem had been taken captive captive by King Nebuchadnezzar and these royal teenagers were taken captive from Jerusalem all the way to Babylon you're like, man, that's, that's a big deal. It is a huge deal because we're talking about 1,600 miles. And it is not a flat terrain. 1,600 miles, that, that would be like going from the, from the OKC metro, from, from OKC or Edmond, all the way to Quebec City, Canada on foot. For, can you imagine this trip that these teenage, teenagers took? We don't know how long it would have taken. We know by Ezra's account that his trip took four months from Jerusalem to Babylon. That's about 3.250,725. Are we there yet? <laughs> it was a long trip. What's even worse is that it was a trip without mom and dad. No peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for the trip. No on-cues on the way. No cell phones. Nothing. And they're being taken away from their families into a completely different kingdom. And not only that, when they arrive to the kingdom of Babylon, they're told, this is where you're going to wear. This is where you're going to eat. This is where you're going to say you're going to learn the language. And these are the gods that you need to get ready to worship. So as we... As we dive into the story, we must remember simply this. The first principle to understand kingdom living is this. Kingdom living starts in the home. 
Kingdom living starts in the home. You say, Pastor Oscar, where, where do you find this in the scripture? I found it very easily because he jumped out at me. You have 14, 15 teenagers. Now, can you, first of all, imagine how would you have reacted on a four-month trip on foot? You're taken away from your family. You're taken away from your community. You're taken away from everything that you know. And then you arrive into a different kingdom and you're told that you're about to do things that you're not used to. If it was me, I, could have pro I would probably would have understood if they were angry at God. God, why didn't you rescue us? Why did you let this happen to us? Why did you allow this, th th these pagans to come and overtake us? And now we're without family, now without community, now without, we, we don't have our youth group, we don't have our activities, we have no one, our parents are not, are not around. Why would you take us away from that? that I would have understood if they felt this way. God, why did you deliver us? We've been praying for four months. God, let, let somebody else come and rescue us. Let Lee, Liam Nielsen just show up and, and, and take us back. But nothing happened. So I would have understood if they were angry at God. But the Bible says that they weren't. They were not even angry when they heard that they were about to be killed because some other people were not able to interpret the king's dream. So these sorcerers come and, and the king asks them to interpret his dream and, and they can't. So now the king, the king decrees, an evil king, I'm just going to kill all my wise men and my sorcerers. And Daniel and his friends were part of that group. So you know what they do? They go on social media and start posting, would you please pray for me? We're about to die. <laughs> oh God, would you please? I can't believe this kingdom is awful. I hate the food. It's awful. I just can't believe they would do that to us. Goodbye, cruel world. <laughs> no. The Bible says that Daniel went to his friends. And in fact, in verse 17 and 18 says, Then Daniel went to his house... And made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his, his, his buddies, his Jewish buddies, his companions. And told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven, heaven concerning this mystery. So that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. How does a teenager know, hey, we're about to lose our lives. Let's seek the mercy of God and pray so that God can answer us. How do, not only that, in verse 19, later on in that chapter, the Bible says that when God answered their prayer and he gave them the interpretation, that they began to have a worship service and they began to declare the praises of the God who they serve. How do teenagers in a foreign land, being away from family, not, ha not have spoken to their parents for days, to their pastors, to the community's latest for four months. How do they know? How can their faith be so strong that in the midst of certain death, they can say, we're going to pray and we're going to worship? The only way they knew, to, they knew how to do this is because he had been modeled at home. The only way they survive is, is because of what has happened throughout the, the growing years. If you know, if you remember, they had no Bible to study. Not in Babylon, not in Jerusalem. They didn't have their devotionals that they could just pick up and be encouraged. So how do these teens know 
that in order to withstand the attack of the enemy in a foreign land, you must pray and you must worship. They knew this because it had been modeled at home in Jerusalem. Let me talk to parents, mom and dad for a little bit, grandpa and grandma. It's more and more evident that the, that the world's becoming blatant about turning our children into their culture. More and more blatant that they're trying to change their identity, that they're trying to change speaking to who they are, that they're trying to give a new identity, replace them from, from knowing they're children of God to being submerged under the culture of this world. I don't, I, I, we don't watch the news. It's, it's, it's a bad thing when you watch the news and you realize that the weatherman is getting more accurate than the rest of... So we don't, we, we don't watch news. We haven't watched news in probably two years. But the only way we, I stay up with up to date is through, through some of the social media posts and some of the, uh, the, the other things that, that we watch. But to understand, and, and maybe, maybe you're not aware of some of the push from the culture that is coming upon your children, targeting your children. From education and elementary to handing out condoms to elementary schools. To changing verbiage, to changing things so that they have the freedom to, to decide. That's a blatant attack upon your home and upon your marriage. And the reason why I want to talk about the home is because God created the home to be a unified army. God created your marriage to be a unified army. But here's the, the problem sometimes. That what a lot, what a lot of our teenage Children, we know that nine out of ten, after they graduate high school, they don't, they don't come back to church. Why is that? One of the reasons why I believe is because they have not seen what it means to be kingdom-minded. They have not seen what it means to live in the kingdom. So they're, because their culture is stronger than the kingdom that's, taking, that's being taught at home, culture wins. And unless we raise what it means to be children who are part of a kingdom, not just in a country, but who live in a kingdom, the culture has more power to come and steal the souls and the minds of our children. But it starts with taking them away from home, telling them how to dress, telling them how to talk, telling them this is what you're going to entertain yourself with. This is where you're going to digest. Let me present to you these idols. So that you forget that your destiny, you forget where you're from, and you become now part of a culture. Kingdom living starts in the home. But we have a responsibility to understand that, that certain things might change in our home so that our children have an encounter with the living God, not just with religion. Let me, let me explain. I, I read, a, I read a, a post a couple of weeks ago that sort of captured me. And sat in me at the same time and challenged me because this post was to me. And it said, some millennials resent church because their parents were good as church, but not good at life. 
They struggle attending a place that consumed their parents' time but never transformed their private life. So let me translate that. So our kids see us come to church and listen to these messages, but they don't see us living and walking out those things at home with our choices of entertainment, with the things that we do in our, in our private time. So for them, there becomes a point where they have to decide, if my parents don't believe what is being preached, why should I? If the culture wins, if there's a culture that reigns in my home and only kingdom in the church, why should I become a part of something that it's only a couple of hours during the week? Kingdom living starts in the home. And it is our responsibility today to make sure two things happen in our home. One, that our kids listen to us pray every single day. That we pray, not just for food. That we pray for their destiny. That we pray for their, for their friends. That we pray for, for, for people who are, don't know Jesus. That we pray that we come against the gates of hell. And that we let them know that they have purpose. That they have an identity under Christ because they're part of a kingdom. We must speak to them and pray over kingdom. And also they must know that we worship Jesus. That worship is not a church thing. That worship is something that we do everywhere we go. That worship is not a music thing. That worship, it, that we can worship whether we have Kevin or Marcy. It becomes a little easier. But worship is not just music. Worship is surrender and obedience to the calling of God upon our lives. Kingdom living starts in the home. And I wonder if the enemy knows something that we sometimes we forget. That there's power in unity. Because he's coming against homes. He's coming, he's coming against families. And he's coming against marriage. Remember Ecclesiastes 2 says. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For either, the, either of them falls the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Furthermore. Let me talk to you couples marriage married couples if two lie down together they keep warm hallelujah <laughs> but how can one be warm alone and if one can overpower him who is alone two can resist him a cord of three stands is not quickly torn apart let me give you some latino wisdom okay because I, I'm, I'm talking about keeping your marriage and your family together but especially your marriage See, my wife, before we started dating, I found out that my wife liked to have her apartment at 78 degrees. I had mine at 68. So we, when we got married, we compromised and we put it down on 75. If you're a wise man, you will know that that is a compromise. But this is what happens. When I come home from work, I go straight to the to the AC and, 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 and change it down. But especially at night, I put it down to 68 because what happens is she gets cold. And when she gets cold, she knows that she can come to me and I can help her out with a little bit of warmth. It's kingdom living, I'm telling you. But it starts in the home. I'm just trying to help you. The second principle not only is kingdom living, it starts in the home. Kingdom living is Jesus-centered. 
We said, man, where are you finding these, these points? Well, verse 44 and 45 says, And it shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. And it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand. So Daniel reveals in his dream, he sees a statue. If you, if you remember the story, the statue, the head is made out of gold. Then you have silver. Then you have bronze. Then you have, um, then you have clay and, 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 and other elements that uh, you have iron and then you have uh, clay. And each part represents a man-made kingdom. Each part of this gigantic statue represents something man created and something man had made. It represents all the kingdoms of the world. And in his dream, Daniel sees this gigantic stone being taken from a mountain. And we later on find out that that mountain, it's Mount Zion, who's called the mountain of God. And so this stone supernaturally is taken from this mountain and begins to roll down and towards this statue. And not only does it destroy all these kingdoms, it sets upon, upon it to, to build a brand new mountain. You say, what does the stone mean? Well, the Messiah is elsewhere spoken of as a stone. In fact, Isaiah 28 says, Therefore, this is what the Lord God says. Behold, I am laying a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for the foundation, firmly placed. The one who believes in it will not be disturbed. A different version says it will not be shaken. Matthew 21 says, Jesus said to them, Did you never read in the scriptures a stone which the builders rejected, this has become the chief cornerstone. Jesus is in the book of Daniel. Can you, can you just think for a moment that we might see the fulfillment of what King Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel saw? That we could very, very much be the ones who get to see the fulfillment of, of this dream. What is, king's, what is the, king, the king's dream about? The king's dream about is about Jesus coming to this world to establish his kingdom over all the earthly kingdoms. To destroy everything that man tries to build for himself. Jesus will come and establish his kingdom over the kingdom of sin and over the kingdom that man tries to establish. It also means that Jesus is coming back. That Jesus will return. That Jesus will come. But you have to remember this is important that the fact that Jesus destroyed this kingdom. Because as a church we must remember that the kingdom of heaven was never meant to fit in the culture of men. It's meant to fight it. The kingdom of God will never fit in in man's kingdom. It will never fit in. And we say, yes, but this is what that means, that as believers, as we draw closer to the Father, and as we understand what it means to be a believer, that the closer we get to the Father, the farther away we will get, we will get from culture. Which means the more persecution we'll eventually be, um, get. 
Because the kingdom of the world is anti-Jesus, anti-Bible, anti-God, anti-biblical Christianity. But for us to understand this, we must remember that Jesus must be at the center. Remember Matthew 6, 10 says, pray. When he pray, pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Matthew 6, 33 says, and Jesus says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Why? Because also we're reminded that Jesus will return to establish his kingdom. Revelation 19 says, from his mouth comes a sharp sword so that with him he may strike down the nations, the kingdoms. And he will rule with them with a rod of iron. And he treats the wine press of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus must be at the center of our lives if we want to understand what it means to be in kingdom. Is Jesus at the center of your life? What does that mean? That Jesus comes to establish himself over anything that I try to build for me. When Jesus is at the center of our life, the world, the, the world disappears. When that same stone that destroys the kingdoms of the world comes and I allow it, it also destroys any kingdom that, that I want to build. See, the problem that I see sometimes with Christianity is that we want, we want a full-time Savior, but we want a part-time Lord. And the kingdom of heaven will always go against the kingdom of this world. And I'm not just talking about what comes out on TV. On TV. I'm talking about the kingdom of this world that my flesh fights for all the time. To establish. If you remember a, a, few, a few weeks ago, I, I shared this story that I want to share with you again because it was so applicable. But it's Jesus and his disciples. They're in Caesarea of Philippi and they're in front of this monument built for Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar called himself, believed himself to be a god. He thought, he literally thought he was a God given to humans. So because Caesar Augustus was the adopted son of Julius Caesar, he was the son of a God. And that's the title that he went by. So when Jesus and his disciples are walking by this temple built for the son of a God, he looks at his disciples and says, and says who do people say I am? In other words, are you aware of the the identity that the culture that culture is trying to place upon me. And then he asked him, who do you say that I am? Which is very important because in other words, Jesus is asking the disciples and he asked us who choose to follow him. Do you know him culturally or do you know him personally? Do you know Jesus culturally? Because America is supposed to be a Christian nation, even though we lead the world in abortions? Do you know him culturally or do you know him personally? 
This is what he's asking you disciples. And he's asking you and I. And Peter raises his hand and says, you're the God. You, I know you, you, are, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And listen what Jesus says. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Bar, Bar and Bar-Jonah, it just simply means, Bar means son of, and Jonah means Jonah. But I want you to understand this because we'll, we'll talk about it later on. Simon, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal it to you, but my father who is in heaven. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. How did Jesus know that it was the Father who was speaking to Peter? Because he recognized the voice of the Father, and he recognized the kingdom has a certain language. And what, what the words that were coming out of Peter were words that come out of the, the kingdom of heaven. So when Jesus heard it, he said, Peter, that is not you speaking. You're speaking what my father has shared with me. And you're, what, what you're saying is something that came out from the father. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. But my father. And spiritual maturity is distinguishing the father's whispers from the shouts of our flesh and of our culture. But Jesus must be at the center. Jesus does not want to be just a box that you check off on Sundays. He's here to be Lord. The final principle is this. Kingdom living is supernatural. Verse 45, Daniel 2 says, Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand. The dream also points out that this dream or this kingdom will be established by no human hand. If it's not human hand that's going to do it, that means there's something supernatural that has to take place for this kingdom to be established. Could we just say together that it would be okay for us to allow the supernatural to become the normal in our Christian living. Once again. And the supernatural. And I'm not just talking about. Where things happen. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about God things happening. In your life. In your body. In your marriage. In your relationships. That something supernatural begins to take place. 1 Corinthians 2 says this, And when I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come as some, someone superior in speaking ability or wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was also with you in weakness and fear and in great trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. What is he talking about? It's the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. So that your faith will not rest on the wisdom of mankind, but on the power of God. At some point in our kingdom living, we must understand that the supernatural has to be welcomed back into our homes and into our churches and into our jobs and into our schools, into every day of our lives. Because that's the Spirit's work in us. When Christianity ceases from being supernatural, it ceases from being Christianity. 
Jesus is a supernatural son of a supernatural God who had a supernatural ministry upon this earth with a supernatural gospel written in the supernatural word of God. Without the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, this gathering becomes nothing more than a moral and ethical gathering. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because we're needed to combat the work and the attack of Babylon against our families and our marriages. The attack of the enemy. Kingdom living is supernatural. And if you read throughout the New Testament, one of the words that comes, comes up over and over again is the word kingdom that Jesus brings up. Why? Because he came to help them understand. I have come to establish a, a completely different kingdom than what you're wanting. And sometimes we look at the Jews and be like, man, those dummies, how dare they? They didn't know that the Messiah was with them. They should want to do their thing. <sighs> Shame on them. But they represent you and I. If they were fooled, you and I could be fooled too. To understand that sometimes we want a kingdom that Jesus did not come to establish. Because the Jews wanted a political kingdom. We want to save the earth and it's going to be through man's kingdom, man's ruling. And Jesus said, no, I did not come to establish a political kingdom. I, I came to establish a spiritual kingdom that will demolish the kingdom of sin. What you want and fixed, it's something that I did not come to fix. You want me to change what's around you, I came to change what's in you. So the dilemma that Daniel faced in Babylon is the dilemma that Jews faced in Rome and is the dilemma that you and I face today. The same one. Will I follow the culture and create my kingdom or will I surrender my life to King Jesus? John 18 says this. Listen, this is Jesus talking to Pontius Pilate about his kingdom. Once again, trying to make him understand, you have no idea of what I'm trying to establish. But he says, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Pilate says, you are a king then. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Says Pilate. With this he went out again to the Jews, gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against them. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back. No, not him. Give us Barabbas. And I could never understand this story. How could a people be so evil that they begin to cry out for this criminal murderer instead of Jesus who was innocent? Until I understood this. Crucifixion was a capital punishment against the state. For you to be crucified, you had to have done something against the Roman Empire. If you were just a thief and a murderer, they would cut your head off. But if you did something that went against the state, you would be crucified. So the thieves were most likely thieves that were being crucified because they had stolen something from the Roman crown. Barabbas was about to be crucified because the Bible says 
He was a murderer, and he was also someone who wanted to start an insurrection. That was a crime against the state. What were the, the crimes that they brought against Jesus? He's, he's going to start an insurrection. He's going to start a movement to go against the Roman government, a military movement. If you don't stop him, he's going to start a rebellion. So that's why he ended up being crucified. But here's the other thing that I did not understand about Barabbas. Why would they choose Barabbas? But in fact, his name kind of gives us a little bit of understanding because his name is really not Barabbas. Its name is a compound name. That is, it's really Bar Abba. Bar means son of and Abba means father. So it actually should be Bar Abba. Remember by Jonah, he is Bar, Bar Abba. So they cried out, give us Bar Abba. Because they had this Jewish guy who had already fought against the Roman government. He had already tried to build his kingdom to, to remove the other kingdom. So whenever they cried, give us Bar Abba, give us the son of the father. What they were saying is, we, want, we have a better chance at defeating the Roman government with Bar Abba than with Jesus. Give us Bar Abba. What they were saying is, give us our way. Give us our kingdom. The way we want things done. Give it to us. We don't want the son of the living God. We don't want the son of the father. We want the son of the father. You say, but Pastor Oscar, those sound the same. I know. And one of the attacks of the enemy against us will be that it will not just present us lies, but it will present us almost truths. And so many Christians are falling right and left for something they believe true, but it is a, it is a lie. Masquated itself in an almost truth. It sounded the same. The son of the father and the son of the father. Which one do we have a chance at saving us? Bar Abba. Because we always fight to establish our kingdom. My way. I want to come to church. I want to sing a couple of songs. But I still want to live my life the way I want to live it. Don't you dare touch my Monday through Saturday, Jesus. You get back on that cross. You give me Bar Abba. And I'll be honest with you. My flesh cries out for Bar Abba too. Can I just fit in a little bit in the culture? Can I just compromise a little bit? I will still be a good person. I will still look good in front of my kids. But the Bible says Jesus came to establish a kingdom over mine. But I might. I must have to draw closer to the cross. Because there's no crown if you're not in a kingdom. And there's no kingdom if you're not on the cross. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go back into a song. Because I must, I must remember this. If kingdom living isn't in the home and the kingdom living is Jesus center and the kingdom living is supernatural all those three require the work of the Holy Spirit you cannot do any of those on your own you're gonna feel like a failure I feel like a failure as a parent sometimes gosh 
are my kids going to get it? And sometimes it's not what I say that I have to remind myself, but it's what the Holy Spirit does through me that has to be supernatural. And I'm here just to remind you, Edmund, those of you watching online, you may think that you are not worthy of the supernatural that's alive of the enemy. You may think right now, man, my past, I don't know. You don't know what I've done. Why would Jesus trust me with the supernatural? He trusts you because even though you might be in Babylon, you are a son and a daughter of the king. So we're going to go into worship. And this song leads itself to simply remind us that the supernatural is meant for us. And that we can welcome back the supernatural in our lives, in our marriages, in our parenting, in our relationships. And I don't know what you're struggling with today. I don't know if you have a sickness in your body. I don't know if you have something struggling in your soul, depression, anxiety, cancer. It doesn't matter. I don't know, I don't know if you're struggling with, with gender identity. I don't care what it is. I, all I know is that I serve a supernatural God who came to establish a supernatural kingdom upon this earth. And because I am his child, he offers it to me. Would you stand? Edmund, would you stand with us? I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to hand it over to Pastor Cameron. And I'm going to invite you today, regardless of what you're dealing with, would you invite the king? Would you invite the king? And as we worship, we have a, we're going to have our staff and our prayer team ready to pray and believe with you. Maybe you don't believe. Come anyway. And have somebody else's faith take over for where your faith lacks. If it's sickness, if it's your marriage, I don't, it doesn't matter what, what it is. Allow Jesus to have a supernatural opportunity to touch your life. Father, we come before you in the name of King Jesus. You've come to establish your kingdom, your rule, your domain upon this earth. And we just say, Lord, half your way. Half your way. Do whatever you want to do, God. Heal us. Heal the broken. Restore the, the sick, Lord. Restore those that are struggling in their marriage. God, for those of us that sometimes feel like we don't know what to do as parents, and we're desperate because our, because our children are turning into prodigals, being taken back to Babylon. Oh, God, may they have a supernatural encounter with the Holy Spirit. But may it start with us. So we pray that you would do it, Father. We pray that you would do it. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us here today for this week's message. And here at Victory Church, we are called to equip people to live in His presence, move beyond ourselves, and be transformed. And this can only happen through your radical generosity, your serving, and your prayers. If this message or any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us by giving into this ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at victory.church give. Thank you again for joining us and have a great day.